Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. All right, Genesis 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew his wife, uh, excuse me, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Now this uh, knowing his wife, it's, of course, it's referring to the sexual intimacy, the intercourse that, um, that they, they did. And so she conceived as a result of that and bore a son. And she named him Cain. And she says, I have acquired a man from the Lord. That name Cain actually means acquired. And uh, it's possible that Eve... Uh, was thinking back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when God was cursing the serpent and uh, had told the serpent um, that her seed would deliver a crushing blow to the power of the servant. That's back in Genesis 3, verse 15. It says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So she may have thought, ha ha. God's answering that prayer, the deliverer, the, the promised seed. He's going to crush uh, the serpent's head. And, of course, we know, sadly, that wasn't the case. And, uh, you know, I just think of it, I think it's awesome when a person, they hear the word of the Lord, they believe it, and then they're just excited about it. And I, I, that's the way I think Eve was. You know, she was just excited about it. Well, verse 2, it says, Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. What's interesting about that is, Abel's name means vanity, wind. It's like, what's the use? I mean, that's kind of what his name means. If your name is your, hopefully nobody's here named Abel. I'm not saying your name is what the use, but, <laughs> but that's what it means, vanity. Um, now, that kind of raises a question. Did Eve become disillusioned after raising a little cane? Could be. Waiting for comic effect. That didn't work. Um, <laughs> anyways, I've had a lot of coffee this morning. Um, <clears throat> you know, it does make you wonder, though, why he na- or she named Abel vanity. You know, a person doesn't become a murderer overnight. We know that Cain was a murderer. We're going to be reading about the first murder here in chapter 4. And a murderer doesn't become one just overnight. What was the first sin? Think back to Genesis chapter 3. The first sin was basically independence from God. Just wanting to do you know, just to be independent from God. And I can just imagine Eve's probably looking at her offspring, looking at Cain, and seeing that sin nature exhibited in her first child, a willful, disobedient, independent spirit, as that, as that, that the sin nature, is just, it's just welling up. And you know that as parents with your kids, right? You, your kids, are, especially the little ones, are so sweet, they're so innocent, but yet... They have that sin nature. I mean, you see it in them. You, know, you don't have to teach your children to not share. You don't have to teach your children to throw a tantrum, right? You don't have to teach them that. They know that all by themselves. It's amazing. What's their sin nature? Well, Eve probably, like I said, saw that nature in her child, Cain. And uh, you know what's interesting? Sometimes, in, you know, if you go reading about, you do in Bible study, sometimes you go to commentaries and people have a commentary about a scripture that you're reading. And, you know, the best place to get a commentary in the Bible is the Bible itself. 
The Bible is always the best commentary on it. And in 1 John 3, 11, we read this. It says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. Interesting. Cain was of the wicked one. And it continues. He says, And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. You see, it's an important thing to understand here. It wasn't that Cain murdered Abel and then became of the wicked one. His sin nature had already overtaken him, and his heart was predisposed towards sin. You know, he was, as we're going to shortly see here in this chapter, not submitted to God. And that committing murder was just the ultimate outcome of this unbridled, uncontrolled wickedness in his heart. Jude also speaks of Cain. He speaks of wicked people who have corrupted themselves, and he says and they have gone in the way of Cain. And so I can just imagine Eve is probably witnessing the sin nature being revealed in her first son. And it probably didn't take too long for her to figure out, ah, I don't think he's the promised seed that's going to crush Satan's head. In fact, she probably started thinking, you know, he's acting more like, like the serpent seed than my seed. And so it's quite possible she could have become disillusioned when Abel was born. You know, in Romans 8.20, it says the creation was subjected to futility, to vanity. And I can just imagine Eve's just seen it's like, oh, man, what, you know, she's just she's getting frustrated and stuff. And so, uh, and again, I'm, I'm guessing the scripture doesn't tell us that. But it's quite possible that that's why she named Abel vanity. Ironically, it would also speak of the, the brevity of his life. It'll be very short here. So continuing on here in verse 2, it says, Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Verse 3, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. That word respected, it means to look on something with approval, to accept it. So the Lord saw uh, Abel's offering and he accepted it. Now, why would Abel offer a firstborn lamb along with their fat. If you, if you read that, if you're familiar with the, uh, the Old Testament, with the Levitical law, I mean, that sounds an awful lot like the sin offerings that would later on be required of the children of Israel many generations later. And here in the very beginning, Abel is offering. Well, again, what does the Bible say about it? In Hebrews 11.4, it says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. Abel was stepping out in faith, and he was, he was by faith, the Bible says, offering to God a more excellent sacrifice. Well, we know in Romans ten seventeen it says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now, as we talked about last week, when Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the Garden of Eden, um, remember, they also realized they were naked. And what did they do? They took fig leaves and they sewed fig leaves together and tried to make some nice tunics out of fig leaves to cover themselves. And God looked at that and, man, it's, it's like it's man's attempt to cover their sin. 
and God ended up providing animal skins. Well, what happened? where did the animals come from? Well, God obviously killed an animal, and I think it was probably a lamb, and provided the skins as a covering for the animal. I think God was showing Adam and Eve there right from the very beginning that the price of sin is death, and that, uh, e- uh, and that the shedding of blood of, of an innocent animal was required, a substitutionary animal was required um, to atone for their sins. I think it was a, a, a lesson that the Lord was showing Adam and Eve. And either Adam passed this information down to Cain and Abel, or else God himself taught Cain and Abel that this was required of them in order to meet with God in fellowship. And Abel heard the word, he believed it, and by faith he acted on it. And God accepted Abel's offering. Why? Because it was offered in obedience to God's command and was offered in faith. Verse 5 of Genesis 4 says, But he did not respect Cain and his offering. Now Cain undoubtedly knew God's command of how he was to be approached, but Cain, he's like so many people that are alive today who want to approach God on their own terms. They don't want to approach God according to what God requires. They try to approach them on their own terms, their own works, their own goodness, whatever. And Cain did this. He brought the fruit of his ground. You know, what he could have done was he could have sold or traded his, his, his grain or whatever it was that he was growing and bought a, or traded for a lamb from Abel and then offered the same acceptable sacrifice. He could have done that. But I think he was just so prideful. It was like, ah, I just want to offer God what I want. But this, look what I've done. I've done all this. This is for you, God. And he probably felt really good that he did that. And yet it wasn't acceptable because it was Cain's offering. It was on Cain's terms and not on God's terms. God did not accept his offering because it wasn't offered in obedience. It wasn't offered by faith. It was offered by works. Verse 5 continues, And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Now that word countenance, it literally means face. His face fell, but it didn't mean that his face dropped off. Um, But it's an idiomatic expression of the whole person. What it means is Cain's mood or his attitude was down. And I think this is the first diagnosed case of depression that we read here in the Bible. Um, Verse 6, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? Notice that God doesn't leave Cain to wallow in his self-pity. Um, God doesn't leave any of us in our misery. I mean, God pursues the sinner. And here God is pursuing Cain. Cain, why are you so upset? Why are you, why are you depressed? What's going on? Um, it's not that God didn't know either. I mean, God knows everything. God's omniscient. But I think God is allowing Cain, giving Cain an opportunity to confess before the Lord and uh, to get right with him. And now we see the very first counseling session here in verse 7. The Lord said to Cain, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. It seems to be that Cain knew what was required of him, and he rebelled against it. He got angry, he got prideful, and he got resentful of his brother. His unchecked attitude, his unchecked heart attitude, developed into a depression. And God here is lovingly confronting Cain. Cain, you have a choice. 
if you do the right thing, if you do well, um, if you don't give in to your sin nature, I mean, if you do well, you'll be accepted. But if you don't do well, man, that sin nature, it's like a lion ready to pounce on you. So sin lies at the door. It's a picture of a crouching lion just ready to pounce on its prey. You know, it's very easy for you and I to give ourselves over to our sin nature. Even as believers, even as born-again believers, it's easy to give into the flesh. That's something we're always striving against. Man, I'm striving against our flesh. Verse 8, Now Cain talked with Abel and his brother, uh, excuse me, now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against, his, against Abel his brother and killed him. You think about it. You know, the serpent, of course, we know that's Satan, but the serpent deceived Eve. And he heard the prophecy, and so now he's striking at the seed of the woman. Um, he had corrupted the firstborn seed of the woman. He had induced Cain to murder uh, her next seed. And you can just see, he's probably just trying to thwart God's plan of salvation, which he's done all down through the history. Um, but here's the big question, and I think this is the big question that every parent probably thought about or thinks about or wants to know. Was there some underlying factor? Was there some mitigating circumstance that would cause both these sons to be so different? And you as parents, you know that. You raise two, two kids or four kids or however many kids you have, and they can be so different from one another. What causes one child to be bent towards, you know, being the prodigal or whatever? And what's the one that's really compliant or, or just continually serving the Lord? And, you know, you never see this rebellion in them. But the other one, man, you just, it's just like they're just bent. They're hell-bent, literally. You know, I mean, they're just going in that wrong direction. What's causing it? Are there any mitigating circumstances? Consider this. They had the same godly parents. It wasn't like, you know, well, one was from another, you know, there was another biological parent or, you know, there was a broken family and we brought them together and so the ones just had a bad, you know, just bad genes. No, they had the same parents, exact same parents. They had the exact same environment. They, I don't think, I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us, but I don't think they were in abject poverty. They had everything they needed. Um, they didn't have opulent luxury and they were just sitting around doing nothing. They had the same education. You know, sometimes we think if, 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 just, if we can just isolate our kids and get them into this good environment with this good education, they're going to turn out good. I got news for you. <laughs> it's not the case. I, you know, and, and if, you, if, you're, if you have kids that go to Christian school uh, or some kind of private school or you have kids that are homeschooled, I'm all for that. Believe me, I am. I mean, when you see the direction that public schools are going and what they're teaching, I'm totally for uh, Christian education and totally for homeschooling and all that. But it's a bad, or not a bad thing, but I just want to warn you parents that are doing it. Don't assume that that's going to mean, well, your kids are going to, walk, they're going to follow the Lord. There's, don't assume that. They even didn't have any peer pressure. I mean, there were no peers, right? I mean, they just had two of them, right? The two brothers. Um, if that, then maybe they had pressure on each other. I don't know. But they didn't have, you know, you think of all these things, the, the environment, the education, the parents, peer pressure, all those typical reasons that you can say, well, that's why that person went the way they went. None of that is true for these two individuals. 
It all boils down to one factor, and it's a matter of the heart, 100%. It's a matter of the heart. Abel, he walked, he lived by faith, and it manifested itself in obedience. Cain, we see, is prideful, was prideful, and it manifested itself in disobedience. Verse 9, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? Again, God knows what's going on. But here, the Lord is pursuing Cain and giving him an opportunity to repent. And he said, verse 9 continue, he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, it's bad enough that Cain is lying to God, right? It's like, I don't know where my brother is. Um, But to make matters worse, man, he's lipping off to God. He's lipping off to the Creator. Uh, Wow. He says, am I my brother's keeper? You know what the answer was? Yes, you are your brother's keeper. You know, God has placed you and I as believers in community. That's why we're here this morning. We're in a community. We're in a fellowship together. We are our brother's keepers. We are to encourage one another. We're to admonish one another. We're to, if necessary, rebuke one another, but always in love. Now, let me just say this. If you have an issue with someone in your community or in your fellowship as a Christian brother or sister, don't let bitterness or resentment grow, right? Deal with those things. If you have an issue with someone, go to them and speak to them. But realize this. Just because you have an issue with someone doesn't necessarily mean that you are right in the issue. You could be wrong, possibly. Um, Especially if your issue stems from something you heard through gossip. Somebody said something about someone, now you have an issue with it, but it's based on gossip. Or someone who's causing strife and is just trying to stir up problems. So be you know, just be aware of that. But yes, we as believers, we are our brother's keepers. Verse 10, the Lord said, and he said, verse 10, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. So what's the first thing that God told Cain? The voice of your brother's brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Man, life is precious in God's eyes. And God will avenge the bloodshed of innocent people that has occurred since the beginning of time, beginning with Abel on down through the years and millennia, basically. There's no unforgotten, you know, sometimes we hear about these Uh, Well, like Joseph Stalin, you know, uh, I love it. People sometimes say, well, you know, more people have been killed in the name of religion than in India. That's not true. You look at Stalin. How many thousands and thousands of people did Stalin kill? Pol Pot. How many people did he kill? And those were godless people. So that's just that's just bunk. When someone says that to you, they basically they're trying to shut you up, basically. But it's ignorant is what it's they're speaking out of ignorance. Now, to the Jews in Jesus' day, you know, they had rejected him 
just like their forefathers had rejected all the prophets that God had sent to them. And so Jesus said to them um, that on you may come all of the righteous blood. This is Matthew 23, verse 20, uh, 35. That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the altar, uh, between the temple and the altar. Abel's blood was crying out. What was it crying out for? It was crying out for vengeance, for God to avenge. You know, there's other blood that's crying out, the blood of Jesus Christ. Abel's blood cries out for vengeance, but you know what Christ's blood cries out for? Mercy and forgiveness. Look what he, the writer says in Hebrews twelve twenty four to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Christ's blood speaks of forgiveness, grace, and mercy. Well, God also told Cain, Now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. So now the ground itself was cursed because it was defiled by bloodshed. And up until then, Cain had been a tiller of the ground. He had been a farmer. But now God says, because of this, the ground is no longer going to produce for you. He says, a fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. Well, what is a fugitive? Um, I looked this up in my word dictionary, my, my, uh, the, the Bible dictionary I have. It says, to shake, to stagger, to wander. It refers to a displaced person, a wanderer, a vagrant. And then what is a vagabond? It means to flee, to wander, to mourn. It has the sense of aimless motion or actions. It refers to a person moving about aimlessly without a home. So from now on, Cain would just wander around. In 1 Peter 2.11, Peter calls you and I as believers in Jesus Christ strangers and pilgrims. Just look around the room. We're all strangers, right? We're strange, but we're strangers. But we're pilgrims. Well, what's the difference between you and I and Cain? Cain wandered aimlessly throughout life with no sense of purpose, no home, no destination. You know, there's many people that live their lives that way today. They have no purpose other than themselves. They have no no purpose other than what's here and now. They have no home other than what they are trying to build on earth, which we know, the Bible says, one day will be destroyed by fire. You and I... Well, we're strangers, we're foreigners, we're passing through, right? We're pilgrims. We know this world is not our home. Think about this. In a sense, you and I are homeless. We're spiritually homeless right now. Um, But we do have a purpose. It's to glorify God in this life, and we have a destination that's heaven, that's eternity with Jesus Christ. Verse 13, And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. What's Cain's response? I mean, it's telling. He says, My punishment is greater than I can bear. That word punishment, this is one of the four main words indicating sin in the Old Testament. But it's a sin that's particularly evil since it strongly conveys the idea of twisting or perverting deliberately. The noun carries along with it the idea of guilt 
from conscious, conscious wrongdoing. So what was Cain saying when he's saying, my punishment is too great for me? He's basically saying, my sin and my guilt is too great for me to bear. He's complaining, basically, about the consequences of his sin. He's not confessing his sin or repenting. Now, I know Dave and I, we both did Bible studies in the jails. Dave, are you still doing it? Not anymore. But Dave and I, we used to go into the county jail here and do Bible studies for quite a few years, actually. And I'm sure Dave could testify to this. But I met many guys that are in the lockup that regretted what they did. They regretted being in there. Um, they They regretted it because of the consequences of their actions. And occasionally, I would meet somebody who seemed to be generally contrite and repentant, uh, and they had a repentant heart. Um, But to be honest with you, that was the exception, not the rule. Everybody was sad that they were in there. Nobody was thrilled to be in there, but they were sad because they basically got caught or because of the consequences. Well, this is kind of the way Cain is responding here. He says, it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. Now that raises a question, right? Who is the anyone that Cain is talking about? I mean, if you just read the narration up to this point, there, are now, there were four people on the earth, and now there's only three, right? Adam and Eve and Cain, because Abel's, Abel's dead now. Who's this anyone that he's talking about? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> next week, this is a teaser for next week. Next week, we're going to be reading uh, about Adam's generations, his line, and we find out Next week, that Adam lived 930 years, and the Bible says he had other sons and daughters. And each of those sons and daughters, for the most part, probably lived hundreds of years old. In fact, the ones that are identified in here of of Adam's descendants were told that they lived hundreds and hundreds of years um, prior to the flood. And they would have had sons and daughters. And their sons and, and daughters would have had sons and daughters. My dad, he uh, came out of a family. He had 16 brothers and sisters. And, uh, and uh, he was the, uh, well, we always thought he was the second oldest, but his twin sister died when she, when, they, when she was three. And we found out just, I don't know, not too many years ago that he was the third oldest. So it was kind of a shock. My dad didn't even know that. He came back from visiting his older brother in Canada and said, Dad, uh, you always told us you were the second oldest. Well, guess what? You're the third oldest. He's like, what? And, uh, but um, it was interesting. We had a family reunion, and uh, on my dad's side of the family, most of, the, most of them were up in Canada, all spread out around Canada. And uh, it was really funny because growing up, we always won. My mom's side of the family, every five years we'd have this family reunion on my mom's side, and we all, everybody would get together. My dad's side, it never happened because they could never get everybody together, first of all. Plus, they couldn't find a place big enough. And, and uh, So anyway, so a lot of my dad passed away. A lot of his brothers and sisters have passed away since then. But a lot of my cousins and a few of the uncles and aunts, they wanted to have a family reunion. So a few years ago, they said they planned it. They sent out notes, emails to everybody and letters and stuff. And so a lot of people got on board. And it was really funny. Um, so we're in this campground up in, up in the, the uh, Canadian Rockies. And... Uh, I'm talking to these guys, and, and he's looking at guys. This one guy's looking at me, and I'm looking at him, and I'm like, I wonder who he is. And he goes, I, I said, what's your name? And, uh, oh, I'm blanking on his name. Huh? Yeah. He goes, well, I'm Rod Rapestra. 
I go, Rod Rapestra? <laughs> I don't know any Rod Rapestra. Well, I don't know. I'm so-and-so's son. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even know they had another son. And it, it was amazing. And that was only 16 kids, okay, and then the offspring of that. They had like 66 grandchildren, my, my, my grandparents did. But now that all those ch- children and grandchildren have had children and grandchildren. Now there's, I mean, who knows how many are out there. But that's just one generation or a couple generations. Think of 930 years of having children. How many kids and how many offspring there would have been. So Cain's looking forward, not forward like looking forward to stuff, but he's looking down the road and he says, man, if anyone finds me, they're going to kill me. Why? Everybody had an axe to grind, right? Hey, you killed my brother. You killed my uncle. You know, Because <laughs> he's the one, he's the known murderer, basically. The only known murderer. Verse 15, And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Now, we don't know anything about this mark, or it's, it can be translated sign. And you know what? I don't even want to speculate. I, don't, I have no, no clue what it is. But somehow there was some identification associated with Cain so that if anybody saw him, they wouldn't, they wouldn't harm him. So now we get to the family line of Cain. So now the Bible is going to give us this, 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 this lineage from Cain. Verse 16 then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Od on the east of Eden. I'll be honest with you, quite a few Sundays I look around, I think some of you people are dwelling in the land of Nod. <laughs> but uh, hopefully not today. I'm looking around, nobody's in the, okay. All right. Verse 17, And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch, and, built a, and he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Again, here's another question. Who was Cain's wife? Everybody wants to know that, right? Well, this may sound really gross to you, but it was possibly a sister um, or a niece or even a much more distant relative, just kind of like I was explaining earlier. Dr. Henry Morris uh, from the Creation Research Institute comments on this verse And he says it would have easily been possible for the population to grow to several hundred thousand by the time of Cain's death. So we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us who his wife is or was. And even if it was a sister, which is it's possible, um, that gene pool, the gene pool was about as pure as it could get in that first generation. Um, We know the Bible later on incest would be forbidden in later generations. But in whatever the case is, and it's kind of interesting, it's kind of fun to speculate, but you know, you can go too far if you, you know, go off in the weeds with that stuff. But in any event, Cain knew his wife and had a son and named him Enoch. Now, this is not the same Enoch that we read later on who, who you know, walked with God and, and was not for God took him. We'll get to that next week. Um, this is uh, an Enoch that was descended from Cain. The other one was descended from Seth. Verse 18, to Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begot Mahujiel, and Mahujiel begot Methushiel, and Methushiel begot Lamech. It's interesting when you get to Lamech. Verse 19, then Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, the name of the second was Zillah. This is the first case of bigamy in the Bible here. Um, 
it was, in fact, rebellion against God's command. Again, there's, there's rebellion that we're seeing surfacing there in Cain's generations there. Um, because God's command and God's original intent was for the marriage of one man and one woman for life. They were to become one flesh. And you might say, well, wait a minute. Wait, hold the bus here. What about all those other people in the Bible, the patriarchs, all those other people who had multiple wives? Well, let me share this with you. First of all, God never commanded any one of them to have multiple wives. God never sanctioned it. Secondly, God's design, again, going back to, to, the, to the beginning, God's design was always one woman and one man for life until death. The third thing, each one of those people, like King David and King Solomon, all these different people that had multiple wives that were polygamists, if you look at the, the, the history in those families, none of them were blessed because of that. None of them were blessed because of that action. In fact, it never turned out well. You look at, there was always consequences. You look at David's sons. One murdered another one. There, you know, there was rape. There was, there was, there was hatred between. The, it, was always, it was never a blessed thing. Verse 20. And Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. They get really creative here, Jabal and Jubal. Um, he was the father of all those who play the harp and the flute. And as for Zillah, she also bore Tubal Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal Cain was Naamah. Now, you know what's interesting? Evolutionists, they like to divide man into all these different historical categories, right? We have these different ages. We have the Stone Age. You have the, the Bronze Age. You have the Iron Age. You have all these different ages. But from the Bible, it's very evident that from the beginning, very beginning, there were cities. There was animal husbandry. There was farming. There was musicians and musical instruments. We're even told here woodwinds and stringed instruments. There was metallurgy and crafts you know, the bronze and the iron, all that from the very beginning. So you think of the vast advances in human knowledge, even in the very beginning, the intelligence, the brilliant progression from a human standpoint, right? Uh, there was probably lots of prosperity in these, line, these generations of Cain. But there was also, I think, a focus on external prosperity and human ingenuity. Why do I say that? Well, it's interesting because Lamech's wives and his daughter's name, uh, the, their names mean something. One's beauty, the other's shade, and the other's loveliness. And it seems like there's just a focus on the external. And, uh, but you look at the descendants of Cain, and you really see the seed of the serpent in them. They were growing more wicked more prideful with each successive generation, and more violent. Look at verse 23. Then Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. Um, for you guys, don't try this at home, okay? <laughs> he was a trained professional. <laughs> um, in fact, if you guys want to just do this for homework, go home and try that. Uh, Teresa, wife of Donald, listen to my voice, and then start... And, let me know when you do it. Um, I'll leave the heater on at the church. You can crash here for the night. That's cool, man. We'll leave. There's food in the fridge in the back there and stuff. Can you imagine this guy? Whatever. Um, 
He says, Lamech, or excuse me, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech, Lamech, seventy-sevenfold. You know what that reminds me of? There's a scene, and I'm not endorsing the movie in any, in any way, but it reminds me of the scene in, in The Untouchables. Remember the movie with, with Sean Connery and I forgot the other guy. Um, in that, there's a scene in that movie, and Sean Connery, he's this Irish guy or, or Scottish guy, he's, reminded, he's educating Elliot Ness right, about uh, how to fight Capone's mob. And he says, they put one of yours in the hospital, you put one of theirs in the morgue. Here ends the lesson. Um, I, I, I know that they're never going to ask me to do a Bond movie, but, <laughs> but anyways. <laughs> but, th- but that's the attitude here, you know? Hey, this, man, this young man wounded me, man. I killed him. You can just see that the attitude, the violent attitude here, the prideful arrogance, he says. He says, if Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. And, you know, you look down here. Th- these are, that's the generations of Cain. And you see the pride. You see the, the glory. I mean, they, they're, they're, they are advancing on a worldly standpoint. You look at all these advances, but their hearts are becoming more and more increasingly wicked. And you know what? Because of their increasing wickedness, this, high, this whole line of people that we're reading about, they're all going to perish in the flood. None of them are going to survive the flood because of their wickedness. And now the book here returns to Adam's generations. Verse 25, and Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom God killed. And as for Seth, verse 26, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. That's an interesting phrase there at the end of verse 26 and the end of chapter 4. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. That, name, that word call, what does it mean that they called on the name of the Lord? It can mean literally to call unto, um, but it can also mean to proclaim. And uh, in the context of this chapter, I think it might mean both. Um, people in Seth's line possibly at this point started calling upon the Lord. Started like returning to the Lord and worshiping the Lord and, and, and calling upon him. But it may also be in light of this ever-increasing wickedness that's going on that they're seeing around them that they are starting to proclaim the name of the Lord to the generations around them. In fact, Jude tells us that Enoch, who's of the line of Seth, he says the seventh from Adam was a prophet. He was, he was speaking forth God's words in his generation. Now, you know what? We don't know a whole lot. We'll, we'll, we'll learn a little bit more about Adam and Eve next week. Um, but we don't know that much more about Adam and Eve. But can you imagine their burden that Adam and Eve felt? I mean, think about it. They are the only ones that knew what life was like before the fall. I mean, they, they knew what it was like to be in a perfect, unhindered relationship with God. 
They knew what it was like to not have that sin nature, to not be ruled by the flesh, to not have that struggle going on. They knew what it was meant, how life was meant to be lived. And can you imagine? And they lived so many years, 900, Adam, we don't know how long Eve lived, but she probably lived quite a few years too. How many years they saw each generation and they saw that sin nature repeated over and over and over and over again each generation. They saw all the wickedness that was going on. Can you imagine the regret that they would have felt? It's all because of that one sin. Like Eve, man, if I just had not been deceived. And, and Adam, he wasn't deceived. He, he rebelled. He willfully ate of the fruit, man. Just that, that man, that regret. You can just imagine. I can just imagine how, how um, Adam and Eve felt watching all of this. You know, it's kind of interesting I don't know if you uh, watched the inauguration last last week of our new president, President Trump. Um, and then, of course, there was all the protests, right? We were reading or hearing about that now. And uh, some of those protesters, you know, there's like, they're, they're, they're taking hammers and just busting up concrete. They're flipping over cars. They're lighting. They're just, they're just destroying. They're anarchists. They, they don't, you know, they're, they're not, there's no purpose other than they just, there's no purpose. They're just, they're just out there, you know, some of them, not all of them. Some of them have a purpose. And, you know, you look at our new president, and I, I won't pretend that he's a righteous man. Um, there's reports that he might have a relationship with the Lord. But, I mean, you know, I don't, who knows? I don't know. Um, but people, there's so many people that hate him. But they not only hate him, they hate for what he stands for, the things, the changes that he wants to bring about to our nation again. And, you know, the, a lot of them are worried about what changes he's going he's gonna to make. And if you look at it, you know, there's a real division in our nation today. There's a lot of, there's a lot of wickedness going on. I mean, you look at, we're going to be getting into chapter 6 about the, genera- the, the generation the, the, uh, right before the flood and what that was like. And, and the Bible says in the last days it's going to be like the days of Noah. And you, know, and you look at half of our nation doesn't want anything to do with the righteous, some of the righteous things that he's doing. Now, I'm not saying he's a righteous man necessarily, but some of the decisions or some of the campaign promises, okay, we'll leave it at that. Some of his campaign promises of what he's going to do, some of them are really good. And, and, and yet there's some people that just hate it. They hate it because they don't want to have God and they, they don't want, you know, they, they want everything to go the way the world's going. And it's really, it's really bad. Now, we as Christians... If it is true that we're living in the days of Noah, and I, I personally believe we are, we need to be Christians like this generation who are calling upon the name of the Lord. And I think that's what we're doing, right? We're gathering here together. We're calling upon the name of the Lord corporately together. And we should be doing that. The Bible says, don't neglect the gathering together, as, as is the hub, habit of some, especially as you see the day growing, the evil. You know, especially, I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but you know, it's in Hebrews. As you see the world getting worse and worse, we should be gathering more and more together and encouraging one another and, and, and lifting up one another. But we also need to be proclaiming the name of the Lord to this generation around us. That's one of the purposes why we're here in this neighborhood. That's why we moved over here. It's a much more visible place than where we were before. And, and, you know, I'm just so excited about reaching into this neighborhood and reaching into our community. And we need to be proclaiming the Lord in our generation. So why don't you stand up? Let's go, Lord, in prayer.
if I had a really good Scottish accent, I'd say, here ends the lesson. But I won't say it. <laughs> All right. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word and uh, for the uh, history that we read. And uh, Lord, it really is your story. Uh, as we read this, Lord, as we're as we st- beginning again through the Bible and coming into Genesis here, as we, as we progress, we'll, we'll continue to see this this scarlet thread, Lord, that just pointing to you and your your crucifixion, your your death on the cross, and Lord, your uh, resurrection from the dead. Lord, we're going to see that as we go through these scriptures. Lord, I just thank you uh, for, like I said, the record that we have here to read and to understand and to meditate on. And Father, I just pray for us as believers here. Lord, as we see the days growing increasingly wicked as our society is becoming increasingly secular. Lord, may we be like those who are calling upon the name of the Lord, not only just gathering here, but Lord, may we be those that are proclaiming your love and proclaiming righteousness and how people can have peace with God through Jesus Christ, Lord, that we would be proclaiming that to this generation. And so, Lord, we've been We've been born for a time like this, Lord. This is the generation you have us in, and we are the generation to, to proclaim your word to, this, to these people. And so, Lord, fill us with your spirit. Equip us, Lord God. Strengthen us. Give us courage. Lord, we pray for divine appointments this coming week, Lord, that we may share your love with those around us. So we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I pray your blessing on each and every person here today. Lord, I pray that they might have a greater revelation of you as they go through their week this week. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.